Good morning and welcome to the Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hawking. We're joined this morning by Jeff Ellis, the boss of DF Concerts and Events, and Stuart Patrick, Chief Executive of Glasgow's Chamber of Commerce. I'm Donald Martin, editor of The Herald and Herald on Sunday, and your host as we discuss the latest headlines and share brilliant and free advice from the boardroom. If you have a question for Tom and Willie, simply email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. So, gentlemen, Sue Gray finally delivered a report on the Downing Street parties, highlighting leadership failures, a drinks culture and a fear of speaking out. From a business perspective, Willie, what was the most damning criticism? On a business perspective, it's all about leadership, right, and how that, how you'd see that would affect your business. And I think that once you become the story and it is not about your party, it's not about your policy, or it's not about your business. When you become the story every single week, it is, you're a liability and it's really time to go. But it's uh, it's interesting. We thought he may have been away last week or the week before. But, I mean, the whole of last week when we thought that the Suki report was coming out, I was amazed at how many hospitals he visited, you know, giving people jabs <laughs> and, you know, and making sure everybody was all right. And it's, isn't it ironic... You know that we, you know, when we heard them in the parliament during the week, that uh, you know he's off to Ukraine now. So Boris is off to the most dangerous place in the world at the moment because he thinks that's the safest place to hide from the Sue Gray report. <laughs> what were your views on the Sue Gray report, Tom? Well, goodness me, where to start, Donald? Um, first of all, I think the Sue Gray report highlighted the lack of leadership. You know, it's one rule for me, it's one rule for the rest of you. Um, we're now wasting police time, frankly. The Metropolitan Police have got better things to do with their time. And, like, if this was a business, and if Willie and I said to our teams, right, here's the rules, and then we broke them, what would our staff think of us? You know, it would be ridiculous. And once the trust has gone, Donald, once that one word called trust has gone, uh, it's just... So, what's going to happen? Listen, this is politics, so it's the Machiavellian centre of the universe, Westminster, right now. So, normal rules don't apply, Willie. Normally, the chairman of the company would say to the chief exec, you're out, and there would be a new one. But this is politics, so I'm not quite sure. Well, he knows more about the politics than I do, but he's not fit to be the UK Prime Minister. Really? Yeah, I, I think there's a bit of a dilemma for the Labour Party, you know, from my, from my own party. Um, you know, do we want Red or is he our greatest gift? You know, is that now, you know, the, the whole narrative <laughs> is written for the next election? You know, and I think that uh, it is, you know, obviously, I believe the country deserves to have a better leader, a more honest uh, leader than they have at the moment. And I think that um, that it'll be interesting to see, but I don't think that in the history of criminals that, that someone called the police in to save them. <laughs> <laughs> Call the police. <laughs> Tom, how important is leadership from a prime minister to the UK PLC? Well, I mean, as I, as I said, it's, it's one of these things, and... and I always remember going back when I was building my team and 
we were um, thinking of employing a really heavy hitter and they were they were they made a lot of money and they were supposed to be good, but they were a, they were difficult. And I remember a, a greer here or a nay here person saying to me, Tom, I don't care how good they are, if this person's not trustworthy, don't bring them into your team because it'll be a cancer in your business. And I keep coming back to this word trust. Um, everybody's got to trust the UK Prime Minister. He represents us round the world. And yeah, he has did some good things here. You know, I think the vaccines and taking the chances and bringing on Kate Bingham, these were all good things. Do they um, give him a pass on this? They absolutely don't. They don't. He's not fit to be UK Prime Minister. Really? How important is it, you think, that a Prime Minister is seen to be fit for the job from a business perspective? Oh, it's, it's, it's very important because this, everyone looks at the country, especially if you're looking at inside investors, you know, um, you know, coming into the country, when you look at how stable the country is, and people will be looking at the moment and saying, well, wait a minute, how stable is the UK? You know, we uh, can you imagine that we have a crisis looming in Europe at the moment that we should be talking about every minute of the day until we get it resolved? And we're talking about this for weeks and weeks and weeks. It is wrong. No, Tom is right that we we that the country deserves a leader that that's that's going to be honest with the people. And unfortunately, at the moment, we've not got that. I mean, as Willie said, <laughs> um, Boris is maybe a gift to the Labour Party. I think he's also a gift to the SNP up here. And all I would say is, you know, because people will say, oh, well, look, that's sad reason, but Boris will be gone. And you you don't, you don't, you vote for independence for positive reasons. You don't vote for independence because of a Tory prime minister who will be gone quite soon. Well, from a business perspective, who do you think has been the best prime minister, Tom, and who was the worst or is the worst? <laughs> <laughs> Might have an answer, a clue, what we've been talking about and why. Well, goodness, I've I've got a very unpopular view. Remember, I come from mm. Newcomna, oh, mining village, and um, Thatcher, Mrs. Thatcher, um, who the the miners and everybody in Newcomna, apart from me, hated um, because of the mines, and I think. I think the mines had to close, but I think she could have did it with a heart. She had no heart. But from a very selfish point of view, she came up with a thing called the Enterprise Allowance, which allowed you to, rather than sign on the brew, you got £40 a week to start your business, and that's how I started. So it was not a popular view in Newcomnock, and I'm sure it's still not a popular view in Newcomnock. Um, but I, I like what she stood for, and I also liked Tony Blair. Um, I really did. Um, I thought he had a bit more of a heart. Now, the one big elephant in the room with Tony Blair is the is the war. Can you forgive a Prime Minister for that? I don't know. So, Willie, fan of Maggie then? Is she your favourite Prime Minister? I couldn't. I'm going to say again, I couldn't disagree with Tom Moore. I think that Maggie Thatcher is the reason 
that the poverty increase in the country. She laid the foundation for that. You no, know, she threw wee tidbits out. You no, know, you can buy your own home. You can do this, do that. But at the same time, cut people's benefits and everything else that went with it. Um, I, I think for the economy. Um, you know, there's there's lots of good things you can talk about Tony Blair's time, but people will remember, right, and they will remember the crash, right, uh, which was a, a world crash. Unfortunately, then in Britain was we caught up in that, but I think that he honestly did try to govern for all and to make things better for all, and really that's that's what we need. Whatever title the government have at the moment we need a government we need a leader we need a prime minister who's going to try and help everyone uh, and at the moment that's that's not a picture that's been painted sue gray's report highlighted a drinks culture so tom how important is culture to the success of a business <laughs> i don't think a drinks culture is <laughs> crucial to the success listen the leader sets the tone the leader sets the culture and it comes from the top, and it really does. And um, I, I don't know anything about that in number 10, but, you know, it, it just needs... It, I think the thing that gets me about it is the fact that the Prime Minister asked the country to make sacrifices, and, and we have heard the heartbreaking stories of people burying loved ones and not being able to be there. And all. I mean, it was, it's terrible. But he didn't think the rules applied to him. That's it. We don't need another report. We don't need the Met. That's it. He's guilty of that. All we're arguing about now is the punishment. And it's politics, so what's going to happen? Really? One of the things I was absolutely appalled at was to see that wine fridge being wheeled in and there wasn't one of my stickers on it. <laughs> shocking but no being serious the, the, this, the picture that's been painted and, and I'm sure that uh, Dominic Cummins is not finished he's not finished with the revelations and I, I think that um, that this the people are absolutely scunnered with what's happened it's Good the word. only word and you see mm. some of the people who have been on talking about their loved ones and what they couldn't do and what they could do and you just, you just brush over it just brush over every single thing and I'll tell you the people should not forget it. So so Willie, can I ask you, because you're you're involved in this, you, you sit in the House of Lords. I mean, would this encourage or discourage the sight the sort of people that we would want to be in politics? How do we get a better quality of person wanting to be in politics, Willie? How do we do it? Yeah. The calibre of person now that's been attracted into politics are just like career politicians, right? Uh, and they think that it's all about, it's populist and it's about making your name for yourself and, you know, and how much money you can make once you come out of office rather than people want to come into politics to, to make a difference. And I think, I know that like you, this is a bit controversial, but I believe that you only get what you pay for. Right, now down south is a whole different ballgame. Forget what people get paid as a salary, 70, you know, the money that they get, the money that they earn, the money they can earn outside of, of, of politics is, is vast. But I think that we really should look at the whole pay structure. I think we should pay more. I think if you're a politician, you should not be able to have any other type of income. Right, I would even take that further, and I think that local councillors should be full-time. We should pay them a bit more as well, attract better people. We need to do that. The calibre of people that we have at every level 
you know, I think if we enhance the remuneration for the people here, we would get much cleverer people who know what it would take to make a difference in the country rather than just, you know, in and out, make a reputation. Some of these cabinet ministers that have lost their jobs recently from the Tory party are all oh, now got all sorts of wonderful jobs making loads of money and they don't care about the, the shame of being sacked. Yeah. Well, talking of clever politicians, Nicola Sturgeon has been impressive throughout COVID. A master class from a master politician or style over substance, Tom? <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, Willie, what do you think of that I question? thought it was a business programme. I thought it was a business programme. Donald's taking us down a bit loaded. Why do you keep up one for Harold, Donald? <laughs> so... <laughs> we're, in, we're impartial. I'm just asking the questions. From a business perspective. <laughs> very good. Well, very good, Donald. So from a business perspective, um, I guess I'm a bit disappointed. I think Nicola Sturgeon is a good leader. Um, but as a good leader, if I don't know about a subject, I'll go and surround me with people who know about the subject and learn. But she's just shied away from it from my point of view. And I think the country is worse off for it because, and you've heard me say it so many times, governments don't have money. Governments take money from you and I as a taxpayer, from Willie and I as business owners, and they decide how to spend it. Now... The only way we can have a flourishing Scotland, and I think we can all agree that the type of Scotland we all want to live in, is if the business is business side of Scotland is flourishing. The whole reason Willie put the show together, and at the present time, we don't have the leader of our country engaged in that debate. And that's to Scotland's detriment. Willie? With the business analysis, you'd have to say, no, Matt, I'm not Nicola Sturgeon's cheerleader, but you'd have to say that whatever she'd done, she looked like a leader, right? Where Boris Johnson did not. But not in business, right? well. No, but not in business, but in a business analogy and on the questions yeah. you asked, which were political, I would say that she goes, here's what we're doing, right? Whether it's right or wrong, here is, is the plan. You might, whether you agreed with the plan or not, but here's what she was doing. And I think that, um, that you... There are things that I don't agree with, right? I think a lot of times we're playing politics. You know, let's be ahead of the UK, let's be behind the UK, and that wasn't good, right? I think those things that I definitely don't agree with, but it was concise. Here's what we're doing. Here's, you know, the I'm sure the hospitality industry are certain listeners saying, "What are you talking about? Are you kidding?" Right? It was the opposite of that. But um, whether it was right or wrong, um, I, I think that. Um, she certainly looked more of a leader than, than, than Boris Johnson. But do I agree with everything? No, absolutely not. No, the thing that's intrigued me, can I say this? Is no, I'm always I'm always intrigued by how much you've learnt, right? You know, during, you know, if there's a drama. And I've been absolutely amazed that in a matter of months, that Dr. Gregory Smith became Professor Gregory Smith and Jason Leach has became Professor Jeff. So and a I'd, sir. And a, and a, but, but, but the Professor thing is even more astounding. So I'd love to know, know that the knowledge that they must have gained in the last six months must be huge. Yeah, but, but Willie, do you think from a business point of view, our First Minister has been up to the job? No, the effect on business has been catastrophic. So the answer to that would have been, I think, the restrictions is, is no. Yeah. Right, I think the restrictions were too harsh. And, well, one of, and one of the things, if I interrupt, that she's seeking to do right now is to make temporary powers to fight COVID permanent. So that means she could force people to stay at home if there's a further outbreak. Yeah. Is that a 
good thing. Keep your neb out. Yeah, that'll be dangerous for her. That will be dangerous for her. Yeah, I think there could be a huge backlash from business and the public on that. I mean, this should be a time where Scotland is coming together. All Look at what happened during the Enlightenment, which is something that's close to my heart, close to Willie's heart. You know, it was a time when all aspects of Scotland came together. Business, the church, science. And we invented the modern world. And if ever there was a time we needed leadership to get everybody around the table to say, right, what's the vision for Scotland coming out of this pandemic? Now, business has got to have a seat at the table. And I don't think at the present time, business has a seat at that table. Yeah, I totally agree with that. If you want free business advice or have a question for Tom and Willie, you can email us at goldbusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. And if you ever miss an episode, you can catch it by searching for the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey on your favourite podcast channel. But before we chat to Jeff, in the latest of our brilliant series in Great Scots, we tell the story of McSween's. McSween is a third-generation family company established as a butcher's shop in Edinburgh in the 1950s. The McSween story starts in 1950 with Charlie and Jean McSween, who met whilst working at a respected butcher's by the name of Orr's on Edinburgh's Georgia Street. When Mr Orr passed away, the pair were encouraged to set up their own business by Mr Orr's daughter, who promptly offered them a loan of £5,000. In 1953, Charlie and Jean opened the McSween Butcher's Shop in Edinburgh's Bransfield. The business quickly established a reputation for the quality of its meats and game, as well as the friendly and knowledgeable service from Charlie at the butcher's block and Jean in the back office. It was here that Charlie created the now famous McSween Haggis and Black Pudding. Charlie's eldest son John had always been passionate about the business and left school to join the business. In the mid-50s he was quoted as saying, The staff knew I was coming and they'd saved a special job for me. They had three geese waiting for me. It was the most hellish job on earth. Feathers everywhere. They really had a good laugh. The boss's son plucking the geese. When Charlie passed away in 1975, the business was passed down to John and his wife Kate. Being the natural entrepreneur that he was, John and wife Kate spotted a gap in the market to specialise in the manufacture of haggis and a chance to present the McSween haggis at the Scottish Food Fair in Selfridges soon paved the way for UK-wide sales. John passed away in 2006 after a life's dedication to a business he loved so dearly. Through his many years of hard work, he achieved a very special place in people's hearts all over the world. Today, the business is run by John's children, Joe and James, who in 2015 were recognised for their outstanding contribution to the food and drink industry, thus proving that their father's legacy is in safe hands. Great Scots and great haggis, Willie. What an amazing story. And if you think, Tom, in 1950, £5,000 must have been a lot of money to get a loan, you know, of, of the it's original a lot of money owner's to do, daughter. Uh, yeah, but uh, no, I know, obviously, famous, you know, for their haggis. Uh, I was sampling some of it last week there. So, uh, yeah, no, again, another brilliant story continuing on everything we've heard every week about all these very, very good Scottish businesses that were all started many, many decades ago. Yeah, chieftain or the pudding race, Donald. And um, I had some. McSween's haggis at a bun supper just a couple of weeks ago. Brilliant. We're now joined by Jeff Ellis, Chief Executive of DF Concerts and Events. Jeff, welcome to the show. Good morning. Great to be here. Well, you're best known for Tea in the Park and now Transmit. 
So how did you first get into the music and events business? Uh, I was always a fan of music, I think, for, you know, from being a, being a kid, really. You know, I'd nick my uh, sister's David Bowie albums and Kraftwerk albums when she, she went off to be a nurse and moved into kind of nurse's accommodation. And she had a box by the door and I kind of rifled through and picked <laughs> out the ones I wanted, you know. So Kraftwerk, Autobahn kind of got me into electronic music and I think it was a Pink Floyd album in there as well, so... But I, I actually started at Middlesex Poly. Started off as a as a journalist, a uh, uh, student journalist, writing reviews on. Chose the week. So uh, the first gig I reviewed was uh, the Scottish band Friends again. You know, with uh, James Grant, who then went on to to form Love and Money. So, uh, Money, yeah. so yeah, and start getting involved in entertainments, helping out, doing a bit of the door, doing a bit, a bit of uh, crew work. You know, loading in PAs and that, and then um, helping with you know the the public putting up posters and stuff and then got the the job as the entertainment manager which was a full-time job so I went um, part-time with my degree that never actually finished <laughs> and uh, went, went on and did uh, you know organize all the the entertainments across uh, North London for, for Middlesex Poly. Any big bands appear there? Yeah, I actually booked Stone Roses for what was really? only their second wow. uh, gig in, in in London. And it's the one that broke them. Not Nothing to do with me, but but the journalist that came along there, uh, Bob Stanley um, from St. Etienne, who wrote for Melody Maker. And he just wrote this review saying this band are going to be, be huge, are going to be the future of British, you know, uh, you know rock and roll. And they were, and they, they, you know, within a year they they were doing Spike Island, you know, and um, wow. yeah, and then went on, you know, to do shows, you know, for headline scene apart for us when they reformed and did did Hamden as well. Hamden, in fact, was their last ever ever gig, you know, they split up after that. So um, so I did one of their their first gigs and did, did their last gig. So, so you uh, promoted Hamden, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but a fa- you know, fantastic band. Only made you know two albums, and you know. Uh, that first album though was, you know, you, you play it now and it's it's still way ahead of its time. You know, there's not one duff duff track on it. It's, it's an amazing album, you know. So from there, they're putting on the Stone Roses in their first gig in London. How did you end up in Scotland and DF concerts? Yeah, interesting. Well, I, I went to book the Marquee uh, in London for a while, so you know, famous famous venue. But it was kind of on on its descendancy when I, uh, when <laughs> before I got involved <laughs> I made sure it went all the way but uh, no um, you know I had, had some great gigs with Aerosmith and Poison and people like that when they were playing Donington but you know it was warm ups but it it really seen it's you know it's seen better days and uh, I started of off doing my own club nights and you know promoting uh you know, dance music really in, in, in clubs which was going okay but then uh, it got to January everything needed a relaunch and uh, I saw an advert for um, in Music Week for um, a job running King Tut's Wawa Hut <laughs> so I thought yeah that's and it'd only been open two years so what's and the I, timeline Jeff? this is like, ni- 1990 uh, no, 1992, sorry, 1992. Wow. It opened in 1990, and I, I still feel like the new kid at King Tut's, you know, because, <laughs> uh, you know, Stuart Clumpers had opened it in, in uh, 1990, and its reputation in that two years was was really significant. And, you know, I was aware of it in, in London. It's only a 300-capacity venue. Yeah. I came up to meet Stuart to chat about what the job would involve, and I walked in and saw it, and I thought, God, this place is tiny. There's Chris Whitley, who was, who was playing that night. And I thought, how did they get all these these bands in? Anyway, I got got the job and uh, started booking bands in there, and uh, and it was great. I loved the place, still, still do love it, you know. And we've had a great history with it. 
you know, I just started doing more and more shows outside of King Tut's as well. At, you know, Barrowland, you know, people like you know, Ice Cube and, you know, Sarah MCs and Jamaraquai and, and, you know, taking, well, we're not taking the company in a different direction, but maybe doing more kind of dance and electronic stuff and hip hop than you know, they'd done before and Stuart did a lot of the the big Scottish acts, Deacon Blue, Texas, you know, Delamitri and uh, certainly, you know, had a passion for kind of country and Americana. So, you know, we developed the the, the, the business more and more and got the opportunity to do Tea in the Park in, in 94, which, you know, Stuart had always wanted to do, to do a festival. How did come about, you know, it certainly put Scotland on the <laughs> yeah. music world music map. Yeah, and it, it was it, it was kind of we just felt we needed to do something where we weren't always relying on on acts coming in and touring. You know, so we we wanted to kind of control our, our, our future really. So we didn't want to give up on promoting acts in the SECC and Barrowland, but we wanted to to uh, do our own thing where where we could control it all. And everybody said it's a crazy idea, but um, our partner on Tea in the Park from day one was a, a guy called Dennis Desmond who's still my kind of boss really now you know he's a chairman of of, of Live Nation UK and uh, now and also you know he's been the main shareholder in DF Concerts since Stuart Clump has sold up but when we started Tea in the Park Dennis was, was there he was doing a festival called Failure in Ireland and he said it'd be a great idea if we could you know twin up on artists so we, we're you know, you, you book some acts, I'll book some acts and, and we'll put them on the same bill. You do Scotland, I'll do Ireland. And, um, you know, the first festival came about. We originally looked at Aaron for 93, and we, but we realised we couldn't get enough people over there. So to do, do a festival... That <laughs> doing the ferries again, that's a bit yeah, politics. exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, so we thought, no, let's leave it and do it properly. Let's leave it to 94. We found Strathclyde Park and uh, did, did three years there. Then, obviously, we had to move it because of the, the retail development there. So we moved to, to Kinross and had, uh, you know, many, many happy years at, uh, at Kinross, you know. But uh, so that's kind of how it came about. And obviously, you know, you have to mention Tenants as well as a sponsor. Yeah, there was no yeah, kind yeah. of arts council putting money into music in those days. Uh, uh, people argue <laughs> that's still the case now to, to a degree, but certainly it, it was back then. But nobody was sponsoring music either. You know, there was no, no sponsorship of, of music because it, it, it was too risky for, for brands to get involved. And Tenants and Tea in the Park became the longest running music sponsorship programme. You know, we, we ran for 23 years. Um, at that stage, it was longer than Barclay Card's sponsorship of the Brits, you know, so it, it, you know, from yeah. a business point of view, it changed the landscape. Now, loads of people, loads of brands are involved in music, you know, O2, Carling in, in, in the yeah. past, all these other brands, but, and, you know, Vir Virgin as well, but, um, but the first one really was, was, Jeff, was and, and do you remember well. back in the day with Tenants, who it was, who was the, Commercial director. Well, well, it, it was uh, Mark Hunter who was, Mark, you know, yeah. in, in, instrumental. I've, I've top man in the industry. Now. I've, I've and I've remained friends with with, yeah. with Mark um, ever since, really. And obviously, you know, we've done deals with with Coors and you know, yeah. uh, in the recent past, and you know, Coors are in King Tut's at, at this moment. And myself and Mark is a global CEO of of. Um, of Coors did the deal for King Tut's tiny little deal <laughs> tiny yeah. little deal yeah. but he wants to do he it because he loved it. King Tut's great lad Mark great yeah. lad yeah. so uh, no, lovely guy and um, and uh, and he, he's, he, he comes to the Joe, Joe Summer Tribute Night that we do every December which yeah. we, unfortunately we couldn't do this year we had to cancel it but he, yeah. he you know he, he comes to that and um and uh, yeah, love, loves the place. So yeah, look, you know, there was some great people over the years at, 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 at Tenants back then. You know, with 
Yeah, so some wonderful people to, to to deal with, and a great vision, you know, that that Mark had to to get involved in music, and and it was a risk. But their original thing was we want to do something maybe at Loch Lomond with a big artist, and ourselves, and you know, it was KLP who their agency at the time, a guy called Paul Mo- Paul Morrison, and we we were saying to him, well, look, you know, if you sponsor a big artist, you know, they, they might be seen the night before drinking a bottle of Budweiser or or whatever, you know, you you, you can't really control what they do. Whereas if it's a festival. Then there's lots of different artists. You know, your, your risk is controlling <laughs> artists, Jeff. That must yeah. be a good, well, a good job. Is, yeah. Yeah. So you've certainly put Scotland on the world map for big concerts. How hard was that to achieve, and how did it come about that you could get these names to to line up here? We, we were surprised with with seeing apart how willing people were but they wanted to support it because at that point there was only Glastonbury and Reading in, in the UK as, as major festivals there was WOMAD as well but you know as a world music festival so in terms of contemporary music there was only two existing you know major festivals and nothing in Scotland so so when we went to acts like Rage Against the Machine to Bjork to Cypress Hill Delamitri Primal Scream all the bands that we had in that first year they're all bands that we worked with except Primal Scream they're the only one one that we didn't but they all wanted to, to do it and they wanted to support a festival because, you know, the agents and managers could see that, well, if that festival works, you know, that's that's more money for us down, down the line, more opportunity to, to play in front of big crowds. And I think because we were, were already working with acts that were playing at SCCC level, we had the, the you know, the confidence of, of, of the industry. And then from that, you know, I think we 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 did the we did the Eagles at, at uh, Murrayfield, wow. which was a big <laughs> big step. And Harvey Goldsmith was doing them at Wembley, and we actually had to convince them that they could travel overnight with their production from from London to to Edinburgh. And the manager, we got doors open just in time, you know. <laughs> but um, and obviously they're a band that don't need to do big sound checks or anything. They, they, they know what they're doing. <laughs> they know but, what they're doing. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but yeah. So and after Eagles, then we, you know, I. Did a couple of Robbie Williams shows at Hamden. So I remember Stuart saying to me, "You're crazy, you know. He's not, not, he's not that big." And I said, "Well, I'm holding two nights. You'll never get to two nights. One night sells out really quickly." And, and in those days, you couldn't. Now we call it a roll date. Back then, you had to build it all up because there's no social media, there's no digital advertising. You had to kind of go right. Well, we'll get another week of radio booked in. We'll get another <laughs> Sunday Mail advert booked in, and we'll we'll announce it the following weekend and, and put tickets on sale. Then you know, and you know, lots of tickets were sold by you know post order back in those days as well. You know? <laughs> so, but it's certainly before uh, you know 24 hour you know internet. But yeah, so we got got involved with. You know, Robbie, and that—that that was a great success. And from then on, you know, I think we, we've become the first port of call for a lot of you know major artists when they're touring. But mo- most of the acts that we do at stadium level are acts that we've started off doing in King Tut's. You know, people like Killers, you know, Paolo Nutini, Calvin Harris. Wow. You know, they, they've all come through King Tut's. You know, and, and loads yeah. of other, others as well. So whilst, yeah, we might, you know, I got ACDC to 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 do Hamden. You know, we've worked with the likes of Springsteen and. Beyonce, you know Rihanna, etc. But all the others have all, you know, come through King Tut's in, in, in the early days. You know, Jeff, can I ask you? I was involved. I was chairman of Scottish Enterprise Glasgow at the time when we were asked to put money into the hydro, um, and obviously the success of the hydro. How significant has the hydro been to attract? It, it, it's been huge. The, the 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 amount. Well, you can see that you know when we're not not in a pandemic, you know, the the you know the hydro is not being used as a hospital. Um, 
you know, the hydro's using the top three, at worst, the top five worldwide for, wow. for, for arena sales, which wow. is it's huge. I mean, King Tut's is, is in the top 100 worldwide. Is it really? When most of the venues in that chart <laughs> are 2,000 plus. Yeah. And King Tut's is in there, you know, for, for what's known as a club venue, I think it's un, under anything under 4,000. But <laughs> back to the hydro, the, the hydro, because it's purpose-built and purpose-built for concerts, not for ice hockey and then, yes. you know, uh, having a few concerts, which most arenas were, were built for or they're built as exhibition centres like the old SEC which nobody enjoyed bands didn't enjoy it audiences didn't enjoy it and it became a hard sell the hydro is becoming easy it, sell it was, well, because it was a big shed just yeah. a shed yeah. Yeah. and the acoustics yeah the acoustics I mean, were everybody said the sound was awful you, you too got good sound in the SEC because you know a good yeah. sound engineer can get good sound out of a difficult building but it was a difficult building for sound but it wasn't a great audience experience you know the hydro is much better it's, yeah. it's, it's much yeah. more you know fan friendly as a, a, as a venue and uh, you know you can hang a lot of production in you can get big productions in I mean we we, we lost Eminem once for, from the SECC because one because it wasn't big enough and one and two because we couldn't get, get all of his production in wow. so he ended up just doing an extra show in Europe and missing out um, Scotland on that tour we got him back into Hamden on the next tour but the Hydro now enables is to keep getting the bigger acts for, for, for Scotland so it's and look it's, you know, it's transformed Finiston as well you know Absolutely. I mean, I mean oh, it's, it's funny yeah. talking to some of the, the people in hospitality in Finiston you know a couple of years ago and they were saying well you know the council hasn't done anything for Finiston we, we've built yeah. all this up ourselves and I'm like, well they did yeah. build a they did build a hydro yes. <laughs> but I think for the people listening and it's to get the wee bits about business so, so the story here is the amazing collaboration with you and tenants Right. If that doesn't happen, this doesn't work. Yeah. So it's a worldwide brand team apart. You, you've got an entrepreneur and you've got you know a PLC that, yeah. that care about two people that care passionately about the city as tenants has done for over yeah. 170 years now. But I think that listening to that as well, how an idea for a music venue like the Hydro and having to convince people, people like me, you know, yeah. to put money, government money in and all of that, and to see the success, nobody could have imagined. The, what that would have done to Finiston. Whose idea was it, Willie? Who, well, who the, the, the people at SEC at the time, you know, the, the SECC were looking for something different because of all the things that Jeff yeah. had just said. Right. It was it was good to go, but it was not a great experience. You were too yeah. far away from yeah. the bands. The yeah. sound wasn't so they great. Knew there was demand. Yeah. yeah. So it, it was really and probably talking to people like Jeff. Jeff probably was going into John Sharkey at the time yeah. and, and and now Peter Duffy and yeah. saying, guys, this is good, but it's no great. Yeah. You yeah. know, we're yeah. losing out. Eminem won't come, and then. They came and started to put a, a deal, yeah. a plan together. But, um... And the, the other real issue as well was because the halls were were built for ex exhibitions and, and yes. uh, conferences as well. You only had two windows in a year where you could book, book bands. So if yes. somebody wanted to tour in July or even you know closer to Christmas, because you'd have the fairground in yes. and and the or the carnival. So you you didn't have three six five availability. Now with the with the hydro, you you have that, but but not. At the expense of conferences and exhibitions, they can still go on in the in the you know existing halls. So that 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 was probably the biggest change was that you know the calendar, the diary opened up. And, yeah. uh, Je Jeff, looking at um, I I'm a huge music fan, and and one of the best um, documentaries that I've watched recently was um, the Defiant ones. Yeah, yeah. But Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine, and yeah. any music fans have got to watch it on Netflix. But it came home to me about the disruption in an industry and your industry has suffered or had the opportunities of disruption more than 
any industry. How do you as the entrepreneur in that industry keep up and keep ahead of all this disruption? Well, I, I, I think we're, we're lucky in that we work in live music, which is, is all about the experience. So it, you can't... You can't stream that experience. You can't yeah. download that experience. It's about being in the room. And so, so nothing has disrupted. Oh, oh yeah, no, th 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 things have d disrupted. You know, I mean, the, you know, the selling of tickets. You know, that that that's all been disrupted by yeah. the internet, particularly. You know, touting now. You know, touts have a field day. You know, with the likes of Virgo Go and everybody, because you know, they, 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 it's much easier. They don't have to have a sheepskin coat standing outside uh, Barrowland like, like, like they used to in the old days with Kenny the Scouser and, and people like that. But I, I think it, 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 you know, the disruption really happened with with. Um, it, well, it actually happened from going from from purchasing sheet music to then vinyl to then CDs to then, you know, downloads and then Stream, streaming. Yeah. So it's kind of always happened, but the live experience hasn't. So if you were seeing a, a, a you know, an orchestra in a concert hall or a variety show, you know, in, in the 1800s, that experience was still a live experience. And that's where we're lucky in that record companies try to stop people, try to stop the fans um, enjoying music on, on um, I forget the name, but, um, Napster. Napster, you know, and they they, they try try to close that down instead of trying to either buy it, embrace it, yeah. move with it. So they, whenever disruption came along for record companies, they tried to push back. Partly because the amount of money they're making on CDs oh, was, was outrageous, you know, <laughs> compared to what the artist makes. Um, and people still argue that's it, that's the same with, with streaming yes. and Spotify, but but um, but you know, di di different set of economic circumstances. But for us, we never got obsessed by the delivery mechanism, which if you think the delivery mechanism for recorded music, you know, sheet music in, into vinyl, into, you know, CDs, download, etc. That that's how people got to hear music in their house, whether they're playing it on the piano, you know, in in, in centuries gone by or, or or streaming it now. But the access to a concert is via a ticket. But we never got obsessed about that delivery mechanism. You know, right. we, we weren't thinking, we've got to enshrine this ticket because that's so important. We're like, well, okay, the ticket becomes a mobile ticket. So what? It becomes, a, you know, a barcode. So what? That's, that's fine because we don't need to, we don't make money off the barcode. We don't make money off the paper ticket. We make money off the person buying the ticket and going to the gig, you know. So however that ticket appears, that delivery mechanism, you know, is academic. So, so we never, we so never got hung mix, up on that. Jeff, you'd still see live as being as important as ever. And obviously there hasn't really been live. So is this is there a pent up demand for, for your product of seeing an artist live? I certainly hope so, Tom. I certainly hope so. Because <laughs> so, we've launched four new festivals and we've got a whole load of uh, outdoor shows. So if 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 we're wrong on that, <laughs> it's a bumpy road ahead for us. But but no, I I I, I really do think there is a pent up demand. But what we've got to get over is a fear because as well as there being a pent up demand, there's also a fear of going out, and that that worries me because you know, eat, you know telling people that okay we're, we're gonna let some things open but don't meet up in large groups that's not that's not, not good for confidence no. because the one thing people listen to, to people listen to government advice in scotland more than i thought they, they ever would and, yeah. and they listen to Indeed. it more in the uk than i thought they ever would but they um when they're told you know to not to meet up in large groups 
okay, 16, 17-year-olds are not, not listening to that, but people in their you know, mid-20s, the, the 30s, the 40s, are kind of going, oh, maybe, or well, maybe we'll not go to that, that, that event then just to be on the safe side. And I think that's, that's the, the mountain that we need to overcome. I'm hoping, you know, news this week, next week, will will be much more of, you know, re- relaxation of, of restrictions and, and the change in language. And that, that, that the, the two things are important because restrictions are one thing, the language is, is, is the other. But, I, you know, I think there is pent-up demand. I think we just need to reassure those who are a little bit older, and, and by that I, I do mean, you know, mid-20s upwards, that it's, it, it's now safe to go to concerts. I mean, look, you know, Transmit, we didn't have any spiking cases and that was nearly 50,000 a day coming for, for well, four days if you had the Biffy Clyro show. There was no spike in transmissions. Everybody took a test beforehand. It, you know, it was very prevalent at the time. Not everybody had been, been double vaccinated, but we, we tested all of the audience. They all came in. It's about 100 one day who, who we had to send away, went away, took a test yep. and came back. Yep. So Jeff, I was impressed that obviously Transmit was the first time you could get back you know doing what you do and you mentioned Dennis Desmond earlier and I was delighted that he came all the way here and he's obviously one you know part of you're part of one of the organizations for the biggest promoters in the world now and I was delighted that Dennis actually visited the studio you you actually helped with that but I was amazed that someone like him who's working globally thought it was important to come and see what Transmit looked like after the the pandemic absolutely and look you know Dennis is a music a music fan is has been a massively successful business person as well, you know, with business interests, you know, outside of music as well as inside of music. Music's his his passion. And, you know, he's the only person I know in the, who works more hours than I do, you know. <laughs> you know, and he's he's in LA at the moment and you know, the last thing I do before I go to bed is probably sending emails to him or receiving emails and, and same thing when I wake up in the morning. So he's, you know, fully committed to what, what he does. He's got a load of load of energy, but he do, he, he kind of knows what makes things tick and he's not somebody, he's not, a you know, a bean counter sitting yeah. in an office somewhere. Right. You know, he, no. he's, he, you know, he's, he's involved in, in 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 the day to day in his own business in in in, in Ireland, but it, yeah, he has a yeah. he cares about what's going on here. He wants yeah. you know he wants to see transmit. He used to come over to to in the park occasionally because obviously he'd have you know either failure or witness or oxygen on on the same weekend. Yeah. So it, it, it tends to be a, literally a, a flying visit in. But yeah. um, I was but ama- I, mean, he, I was amazed as, as he's wanting about the studio. I could see his mind going about what can we do in yeah. the O2 and what can we do here <laughs> to get things going. Yeah. A real musical entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and great luck. You know, I've I've worked with him for. For you know, most of my career now, you know, so, like I say, since since '94 on on Tina Park, and since 2001, you know, within DF when he when he you know um, bought Stuart out of the business. So. Yeah, Jeff, we were talking earlier about leadership as chief executive and as a leader. What do you see as your main strengths, and what have you learnt most over that long career in music? It's funny we we actually did a strength analysis um, test a couple of years, not tests, uh, some work, work on strength analysis. We got this consultant coming in with all the, the kind of, not just the senior management team, but all the people in kind of management positions. And it was really interesting to get the, um, this is me delaying so I can't remember what I got. <laughs> but it, it was great to get the, the differences amongst people because 
that that's then really good when you, when you're putting a team together to work on something. So like, well, actually, we need somebody with woo. We need somebody with creativity. We need somebody with, who's a completer finisher, and, and that's what you need in a in in a team. And instead of going, well, we need somebody from marketing, somebody from from booking, somebody from production, somebody from finance. It's about getting the right blend of of of, of skill set and, and qualities, not just you know you know. Uh, covering each department for, for, for myself I, I was kind of coming high on kind of um more creative kind of aspects which I guess is what my I, I do I'm, I'm not a traditional chief exec I I, I create um some of the you know like launching new festivals create you know creating transmit creating the, the the big top series in in um you know, the Royal Highland Centre in Edinburgh. I've got, um, I'm about to relaunch Connect, which is a festival we did out in Inverary Castle uh, back in 2007, 2008. We're recreating that in more of a, closer to an urban environment, making it more sustainable. You know, so I'm re- re- relaunching that soon, very very soon in, in, in towards the end of February. Done these summer sessions we've, we've, we've come up with, you know, we, we created Glasgow Summer Sessions. So I guess that, for me, it's about creating, you know, that's my, my passion is creating events as well. I've got another team who, um, a booking team who book most of the shows, probably 95% of the, the, the shows on, on, a, on a touring basis, whereas I tend to, to create events. And, you know, as, you know, I'm, I've, I've got a great FD, a great, you know, production person, a great HR person, um, I had a great marketing person who's now leaving <laughs> after many years who's a, a, a DJ at, um, at Go Radio so she's she's oh. leaving oh. <laughs> she's oh, been yeah. stolen oh, yeah. stolen yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, but I'm not bitter no but she, she's <laughs> moving on to be to do other again. things and la- you know life coaching and things like that but you know we, we've got a team of, of managers who've been with us for a very long long time but with plenty of fresh um, fresh uh, people coming in as well with, with, with new ideas and new approaches and, and I guess it's you know the, the skill is keeping people happy, keeping the team together and um, making sure as a business we don't rest on our laurels and that we keep, you know, pushing the envelope because if we kind of go, oh, this is great, look at what we're doing, the only way is down. So you've got to keep, you know, you've got to keep pushing forward, you've got to keep growing, otherwise you, you fall back and you get overtaken. So, Well, we wish you every success because all of us have been at fantastic gigs that you've put on. So... Impossible question to finish, Jeff. Best gig you've ever been to? Oh, that's that. That's a really hard one because <laughs> it's so many moments. What one great moment would be the Who playing Tea in the Park um, wow. with Daltrey and and you know, Townsend's usually smash up guitars and really angry at the end of a gig. He was smiling and hugging Daltrey, and Daltrey said to the crowd, you know, this is better than Woodstock. So that, wow. that from an endorsement point <laughs> of view, doesn't get any better. I think, personally, I'd maybe choose Massive Attack at Barrowland. Um, there was a moment, and my, my I was there with my wife, who had not been, and Fiona's actually in, in the business as well, but we'd not been going out together that long when, when Massive Attack played on my birthday at Barrowland. And Unfinished Sympathy is one of my favourite all-time yeah, uh, songs. But also here, and Liz Fraser was, was touring with them at the time, you know, from the Cotto Twins. And, you know, she, she sung uh, Teardrop, which is amazing, amazing kind of thing. So that, that concert, I probably remember, 
you know, a lot. Yeah. The, 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 the endorsement from Daltrey and, and Townsend having a smile on his face at the end of a, a Who show yeah. at Tina Park, those are, are two out of very many. <laughs> Jeff, can I just say you to finish that, on behalf of everybody in Scotland, I want to thank you for the joy, for the people you've brought, the talent you've brought. It, would, it wouldn't have happened without you, so a big thank you for, oh, especially thank you. for all the lot. great nights that I've had. Yeah, so it's been great, and I, I really hope live is forever. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, let's hope so. We're now joined by Stuart Patrick, Chief Executive of Glasgow's Chamber of Commerce, for his monthly update. Welcome, Stuart. Thank you very much. Good uh, good morning. Great to have you back, Stuart. Thank nice you. to see you, Stuart. You're always positive. Indeed. What good news have you got for us, Stuart? Well, last month I was optimistic that the mood would shift in Glasgow and there are already some developments that I think justify my view. First up... Cabinet Secretary Michael Matheson confirmed to the Scottish Parliament that the Glasgow Metro has been included in the Scottish Government's review of strategic transport projects, known as STPR2. Just a review. Mr (laughs) Matheson referred positively to Glasgow City Council's Connectivity Commission report in which the idea of a full metro system was first proposed. I sat on that commission and STPR2 agrees that the metro should be developed as a mass transit transport system serving up to 15 kilometres from the city centre. That's just under 10 miles in real money. And should target areas where connections are not currently very good. The Connectivity Commission also recommended that the very first line should connect Glasgow Airport to heavy rail at Paisley-Gilmer Street Station and then work its way to the city centre along a south-side growth corridor that links the airport, the Advanced Manufacturing Innovation District next door, Renfrew, Brayhead, the Queen Elizabeth Hospital, Pacific Quay and on into the city centre itself. The good news then is that for the first time in 14 years, we have both national and local government agreeing that the business cases and delivery plan for the Metro should go ahead. We have another 12 weeks of public consultation to go before the final STPR2 report is published, but I would expect, with the endorsement of the Metro being so strong, that work can now continue with more confidence. In the city centre itself, public consultation has also now started on the redevelopment of Buchanan Galleries by its owners, Landsec. One feasible outcome could be the demolition of the galleries and the construction of a new city centre district covering 10 acres and mixing together shops, leisure, homes and offices. With Sovereign Centros also making radical plans for St Enoch's, we could be in for the most dramatic change in our city centre since the arrival of the International Financial Services District at the turn of the century. That change is needed was rammed home when Marks and Spencers announced it was closing the shop. It has operated in Soke Hall Street since 1935. There is no doubt that a combination of online shopping, two devastating fires and two years of pandemic lockdown restrictions have severely damaged Soke Hall Street. And the City Centre Task Force, which I co-chair with Councillor Angus Miller, has its work cut out securing recovery. But the good news is that after 20 months, the working from home guidance has finally been lifted. And although the First Minister has dampened enthusiasm with her push for hybrid working, and she could do well to leave businesses to make their own decisions unimpeded, we do at last have the chance to work on city centre recovery. It would also help if universities and colleges can get on and welcome students back to their campuses. 
The announcements from Sovereign Centros and Landsec are a positive sign that private property owners are ready to make hundreds of millions of pounds of investment in the centre's reshaping. Both companies have been researching the impact that trends are having on consumers' behaviour and designing a response that could give Glasgow one of the most competitive city centres in the country. The Scottish Fire Service, three years after the fire at Glasgow School of Art, finally published its report on the cause. And whilst the report was inconclusive, perhaps it can be the catalyst for faster movement on both the restoration of the Macintosh building itself uh, and on the replacement for the derelict O2 complex on Sockey Hall Street. The City Centre Task Force received Scottish Government funding to investigate the scale of the pandemic's economic impact and the range of options for speeding up the reuse of empty shop units and upper floor offices in older buildings. That work should be reporting before the spring. Oh, delighted to hear such optimism. So do you want to have a wee go at Tom and Willie because they not the Glasgow Metro (coughs) system. I can understand uh, (laughs) that there might be a degree of scepticism because it has taken an awfully long time to get to a point where we've uh, at least got some kind of a proposal coming forward. Now, we at the Chamber, we always wanted the heavy rail connection to the airport, and, you know, we kind of still do. But if we're going to get a light rail connection from uh, Glasgow Airport to the city centre or, and indeed, to place the Gilmer uh, Street, we push for that. Oh, so, sure. Stuart, is the big side inside <laughs> the airport, hey, hop on here, only five stops to Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> you'll, have, you'll, have, you'll, you'll have a couple of choices here. That's our, that's our proposal. Uh, get a taxi. You can get your, you can get your connection to Paisley Gilmer Street and get on the train, you can get your five stops, you're right into the city centre. But I think actually it now becomes more sensible if we really are talking about trying to take 20% of cars uh, off the roads by 2030 uh, and you've got 95% of the connection to the airport is by car or by taxi, then you're going to have to have some alternatives in there to be able to make that kind of thing happen. Stuart, we used to get lobbied by the chamber for a direct route from the airport to the city centre. Right, we're not getting one. Well, right. we're not I, getting one. Who might, seriously, right, Gilmer Street, right? So whatever happened, it was watered down. Glasgow was going to have this super, you know, new fast link, hop on here like the Heathrow Express, you're in Glasgow in seven minutes, whatever, right? And now, via Gilmer Street, we can get you to Glasgow, right? I, I, and you have to swap. I grant you, it has a, what's it, a modal change you have to make, which is never a good thing to yeah. do in uh, public transport, I accept that. <laughs> However... <laughs> Uh, I would deny that um, we are. Uh, we still have a, a wee hope that in the future, uh, the big challenge with central stations congestion issues. That's what's been put up as the big problem for having that rail connection, um, and we hope that in due course. Uh, there'll be redevelopment of Central Station as well. That was in the Connectivity Commission report too. Uh, you ex- extend the uh, capacity of, of Central Station and there were a couple of ideas how to do that. Once that's done, then you start looking at making the direct connection from the airport into the city centre. So I'm not ruling that out for the long yeah. Stuart, when are we going to stop talking about it and actually do something? Uh, uh, let, let's not end on a wee negative note. There was no, hope Stuart, there Stuart's on the redevelopment positive, of Central Station. You, Stuart, but <laughs> holy goodness, we've been talking about... I mean, Willie's told me we've been talking about this for a long time. So what about a hyperloop between Glasgow and Edinburgh? <laughs> I'll, I'll leave on that note. What about this? What about this? Uh, I think I mentioned a few weeks ago about the couple of uh, developers we brought over from the States a few years ago, yes. right? And they said to us, and we want to go, green's at the heart of everything we want to do, okay? 
So why don't we start with if we're talking Glasgow Edinburgh, let's try and get four lanes each on on each side of the motorway, right? Forty miles of four, four lanes either way. Let's put light bulbs on the whole 40 miles so we can see where we're going at night, right? <laughs> but someone had a fantastic idea, Stuart, I can't remember who it was a few years ago, where they were going to put a light rail um, train that, that went up the part of them straight through the motorway, right? And they were actually saying that, if I remember right, they were going to fund it. They were going to fund all of it, right? And it was it worked on air, it, it floated above these batteries, these magnetic batteries. So something like that, something, it's, it's not the loop, but it's something that's a wee bit more futuristic and it would work. And the, the, the guys were telling me back then it meant something like a 15 pence increase in the ticket, whatever, but they were going to fund the whole thing, right? right? So rather than this, and we have to say that the, the, it's great that they're going to do something, but it's not, it's, it's, it, I'm going to say it's, it's, I'm not going to call it second rate, but it's not what we wanted for Glasgow Airport direct to the city, right? So something like this, if we go to connect our two major cities, let's think right out of the box, right? If, if the people, if you could go back now, the people who come up with the idea for the Kingston Bridge, if they knew what they knew today, it would be eight lanes either side, and the problem is when you get to our end, then it all gets into a bottleneck. So I think that we should take the learning from that, and then look at that before we do it in between the M8. I would so, just answer just one wee comment on yeah. that, which is to say, um, I think if we're going to make real strides in connecting Glasgow and Edinburgh yeah. to try and make a real single labour market, yeah. cost actually matters as much as speed. Yes. And that's a question that we've not really been at, uh, tackling in a lot of the proposals that have been coming forward. Yeah. We haven't really worked out how do we do this uh, at a level that makes you know yeah. £26,000 a year, uh, the kind of salary that allows you to live in Edinburgh and work in Glasgow. Yeah. So a great Scot invented the steam engine we still seem to be in the steam age with transport in Glasgow. Come on! Thanks, Stuart. Unfortunately, that's all we've time for. Don't forget, you can put your business questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and you can give us feedback or get involved by visiting thisisgo.co.uk.